Okay, uh, we are in the middle of, uh, we, just, we just started a, uh, a series through the summer where we're looking at where Jesus meets a person usually and um, he heals them. And so their lives are completely transformed and we want to look at how Jesus does that and what he's doing so that we get better at healing the sick with the power of God that's given to us. Did you know that there are according to the Bible, two ways to amaze Jesus. There are two different ways. One is better than the other. The first way to amaze Jesus, you can see in Mark chapter 6, Mark's gospel, which is the stories about Jesus. And he went back to his hometown, and uh, when he was wanting to heal the sick and help people, what happened was, is people looked at him and they said, oh, isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't this, we know, we know his sisters and brothers. And they kind of took offense at him, that somehow he was some, somehow too grand for them. Here was this rabbi coming back who'd been healing the sick. And they were offended at him, and they resisted him. And uh, it says that Jesus couldn't do any miracles because of their lack of faith. He could only heal a few people, which wasn't bad, to be honest. But, uh, but he was amazed at their lack of faith. He was amazed at their lack of faith in his hometown. That's one way to amaze Jesus. The other way is just uh, uh, like this man in our reading had uh, in Luke chapter 7. And uh, if, you, if you've got the passage or you've got access to a, a Bible on your phone or on paper, then do get it out. It's Luke chapter 7 verses 1 to 10. You can see the extravagant faith of this soldier in Jesus. He's looking for Jesus to heal his highly valued slave who is close to death. And in the second example, uh, you see that this centurion has some stunning insights which cause him to trust Jesus implicitly for his slave's life. And this amazes Jesus. He says, I have never seen faith like this in the whole of Israel. Now that's a model to follow. Uh, he's the one to follow. So you, you can amaze Jesus either way. I suggest the second. So let's think about this centurion for a few moments because he is an example to us. His story is written to us so that it can be an example of faith to us. And it's unusual because he's not, he's not a Jewish person. He is a Roman soldier. He, as the Jews called them, Gentiles. And he's also part of the oppressing army. So a centurion is like a captain in our terms, and he was stationed in this place called Capernaum, and he would be in charge of 100 men, uh, and they were part of the occupied force. However, unusually for a centurion, he really loved the Jewish nation, the people that he'd been sent to be with and to kind of rule over, and even more unusually, they loved him. And they loved him partly because, uh, I guess because of his character, but he had also built their synagogue for them. He had, um, he had built their meeting place. And, uh, and so they really loved him. And he was in a moment of crisis because he had a slave, highly valued person, whether professionally or personally, uh, and this slave was absolutely at death's door. And he had heard of Jesus. He'd heard of this person who would heal the sick, who would say a word, and then they would be instantly better. And he wanted to find out more, and he wanted to find this man so he, to ask for his help. But he asked some of his friends, his, his Jewish friends, who, um, who loved him and he loved them, he asks some of the elders for a favor, to go on his behalf to Jesus and uh, to ask him to come to his house and heal this poor man who was close to death. 
And when they come close to the house, he seems to have second thoughts. And in fact, he sends out his friends to say, look, don't even come under my roof. Don't come into my house. But just say the word and my servant will be healed. The captain here has some amazing insights into the nature of authority. And that's particularly what I want to talk about uh, for the next few minutes. Now we have a pretty, in our culture, we have a pretty uncertain relationship with authority. Should we respect authority? Should we question it? Uh, Should we obey authority? What is good authority? And how can we use authority well? But the captain lives in a very different culture, and he lives in a very different organization, which is the Roman army. And it's a highly defined authority structure, which is designed, as armies are, for rapid obedience, because people have to be sent into battle, and they need to be obedient straight away. So he's a captain in the ancient world, in the biggest, baddest organization on the planet at the time, the Roman Empire. And he is... He is a strong part of the military wing of this um, biggest organization on the planet. So he knows that when he says to a soldier, go, and even if the soldier doesn't feel like going, he has the backup behind him of the whole of the Roman Empire behind that command. Do you understand that? When he says go, it's not just him as a person saying go, but it's the whole of the Roman Empire saying go. And if you refuse that, you know the consequences will be dire. He understands that authority is the right and the privilege to exercise power. That's what authority is. It's the right and the privilege to exercise power. And that power is the energy, the force needed to make something happen. So those things you know, go together, authority and power. So authority is the, is the right or the privilege to exercise power, which he has by dint of being a captain in the Roman army. And the power is the energy or the force needed to get something done. So the captain's heard of Jesus. And he's heard of this man, Jesus, who says, be healed to bodies, to bodies, and then they're healed. Or Jesus says, go to, to a demonic power in a human being, and the demon leaves, they have to go. And so you can imagine this, this uh, centurion, he's thinking about Jesus. And uh, there is a phrase that you might have heard, which is game recognizes game, which is that somebody who is really proficient in one area recognizes somebody else who's really proficient in another area. And this is what this man does, that he recognizes Jesus' game. And he recognizes someone who has been given the right to exercise authority over sin, he forgives sin. Over sickness, he heals sickness. Over demonic powers, he drives them out. And over death, he raises the dead. So, and it's really important, I just want to say, if you are, you're not quite sure what God is like and whether he, he is really good, it's important to look at Jesus. Because Jesus is the spitting image of his father, his, uh, of God. And he shows us what God is like. And so when you see Jesus, you see that Jesus forgives sin, he heals the sick, he drives out demons, and he raises the dead. And so he is resolutely against sin, sickness, evil, and death. That's, what, that's God's settled position on those things. 
so that when we finally come into glory and into heaven together, those things will not be there. They will not be a problem. So, game recognizes game. And this, this man recognizes Jesus as someone who uh, can affect something with either a touch or a word because of his authority. Now, so I guess this man has two particular insights about authority that are really important for us when we are praying for those who need the power of God. And if you're a believer, if you're a follower of Jesus, then the power of God uh, flows through you to other people, through prayer, through, through a word, through a touch. And we've got to learn how to do it a little bit more like Jesus. So this man's first insight is this, is that Jesus' authority, when he sees him, he sees that Jesus' authority is so much greater than his. It's almost as if he's looking at him and he's thinking, your organization is a lot more powerful than mine. The, the centurion is backed by the empire, but Jesus is backed by the kingdom. And one is much greater than the other. And he really recognizes that. And you can see then that he submits to the greater authority. You know, he's a man who understands, uh, you know, um, different stratas of authority because he's been in the Roman army for a while. And so he doesn't presume to go to Jesus himself. He, he feels and he knows he's not worthy to come to Jesus or have Jesus into his house, even though his friends have said, if you look at verse 4, his friends have gone to Jesus and said, this man is worthy of you to help him out and you to do these things for him. The friends say he's worthy, but the man says himself, I'm not worthy, even that you come into my house. And he knows he can tell soldiers and servants under him to come and go and do things that they don't feel like doing, but he can see that Jesus can tell sicknesses and demons and death to go. And he bows to the greater authority, if you like. He recognizes that the kingdom of God is much greater than the empire, the Roman Empire, and the kingdom of God is entirely good. Whereas the empire has a somewhat mixed reputation. If you remember Monty Python, what did the Romans ever do for us? But the kingdom of God, what did the kingdom of God ever do for us? Well, sins forgiven, sickness is healed, uh, demons are cast out, and death is conquered. So that's the first insight that the man has. And the second insight is this. If you read in verse... Gosh, I can't see what verse it is. Hold on. Eight. Verse eight. <laughs> You'll remember that now. Verse eight. He says this. In fact, this is what he doesn't say, first of all. He, doesn't, he, he meets Jesus and he, he doesn't say, I too am a man with authority. He doesn't say that. What does he say? I too am a man under authority. Yeah. Which is a massive difference. He knows the secret to having authority in anything is to be under authority. Under authority to something bigger than yourself. And if you want to grow in authority... You need to be under authority and grow in obedience to that authority. And then you have the backing behind you. So just for a moment, let's look at some areas of authority, in other, sort of other areas of authority, and see how authority works and how it doesn't work. So first of all, sporting authority. Uh, I had the good fortune yesterday to be at the Oval to watch England-Australia. 
And uh, how many of you have heard of Stuart Broad? Okay, a, a small number. One of the greatest uh, fast bowlers of all time. He announced his retirement yesterday. Uh, he's 37 years old, and he plays. He's always played with great authority. And, um, or most of the time, anyway. And most, most things he tries, he accomplishes with great power, great accuracy, great consistency. And so he's, he's someone who plays cricket with authority, if you like, and has done for many years. And over the years, he and most players have also been obedient. They've been obedient to the rules of cricket. They've been obedient to training regimes and fitness regimes, nutrition regimes. They've been obedient to the tactics, to the manager. And when you add to Stuart Broad his phenomenal talent and competitive temperament, then you have a world-class bowler, somebody who's obedient to all the things of cricket. He's got cricket backing him up, if you like, and, his, and the England team. And he would really undercut his authority if he'd come uh, for his last day of cricket today, or t today or tomorrow. He would have uncut, uh, undercut his authority if he'd started to be disobedient to these things late in his career. So if he'd gone out this morning and he said, but first I want to just eat an enormous pie and wash it down with a few pints of Guinness. See, that would be disobedient to the training and the nutrition regimes, and he wouldn't have performed as well as he could. And that's sporting authority. You, do, you, you have to be backed by something bigger than yourself. Let's think uh, more contentiously, if I may, about political authority. Um, I'll just say a few words about our previous Prime Minister, Boris Johnson. He had authority. He had, he had a lot of authority. He had, a, he had an incredible mandate from the members. He had an incredible mandate from um, the, uh, the voters and a big, uh, a big election win. But I guess it's by common consent that he saw his authority uh, disappear or go down or under, be undercut. And it, whether, you know, whether you agree with him or not, he's perceived to have been disobedient to his own rules about lockdown. He's perceived to um, have uh, disobeyed the, the kind of rules of Parliament about telling the truth to Parliament and to the usual ways of running Number 10 Downing Street. And Joe and I were at the, at the gates of Downing Street on the day he resigned. And I tell you, it wasn't pretty. It was, it was pretty ugly out there. And um, people had had enough. And, they, and so, so you could see authority leeching away from someone. Uh, so you can... You can be obedient or you can be disobedient. And in this story, let's go back to the story. The captain recognizes Jesus as someone like himself who is under authority and therefore exerts authority. The captain was obedient to the army rules, we assume. And Jesus, may I say, was the most obedient person who has ever lived. He was obedient to his Father in heaven at all times. So if you read John chapter 5 and John chapter 6, he says things like, I only do what I see the Father doing. Think about that for a moment. I only do what I see the Father doing. He says, I only say what I hear the Father saying. And so he has the Father's backing with everything that he's doing. And he speaks with authority and he does things with authority. And so when the captain sees Jesus... His response is to trust Jesus implicitly with the life of his servant. 
And through his actions and his words, his faith shines. You can see that. And Jesus sees his faith and commends it. In fact, it amazes him, as we were thinking about at the beginning. So, where does this leave us, this story? Because Jesus sends his disciples out to heal the sick, cast out demons, and tell people about the good news. And that includes us now. He says, go and make disciples of every kind of people, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you to do. So we are included in all of that. We are included as people who are filled with the Spirit of God, filled with the power of God. The same power that conquered the grave lives in you and me, says the Scriptures. So here's the question for us tonight as we read this story, because the story is in, the, is in the scriptures to help us with understanding authority and how we can operate with spiritual authority. The question is, do you want to grow in spiritual authority? I hope so. But it, it takes stepping forward into something. Do you want to grow in spiritual authority? When you speak, when you pray, when you act and do things, do you want to see transformation happen in people's lives or in the lives of a community around you or a society around you? Do you want to see that through your actions, through your words, through your prayers? When you meet someone and they say, well, could you pray for me because I'm, feeling, you know, I'm really unwell, are you able to then step into action with some confidence and some authority? Because you know you're, that you're backed by the kingdom of God. If you do want it, Here's just a little tip uh, before we um, have a little go at uh, seeing if we can grow in authority. If you do want to, as a general rule, look for ways actively to obey Jesus. So the more obedient you are to Jesus and what he says, and what he says in scripture, the more you will act with authority. It's just, these things just work together. You can see it in the man, in the, the Roman soldiers. You can see it in sports. You can see it in politics. You can see it, most obviously, in Jesus. That where you are obedient to something bigger than yourself, then you will act with the authority of that bigger thing backing you up. So, for instance, when you read in the scriptures, there are some general ways to obey God. Love your neighbor as yourself. Bless those who curse you. Be generous to the needy. Forgive those who have hurt you. Some really straightforward commands of scripture. Then do it. Really do it. Because as you do it, you will then start to act with greater authority. And when you sense specific direction from the Holy Spirit through your day, where the Holy Spirit says to you, why don't you call up your neighbor? Because, well, sometimes the Holy Spirit doesn't tell you why. You find out when you ring up. Why don't you do that? And then, you, and then you're obedient to it, then you, you start to act with greater authority. Or when the Holy Spirit says, I want you to give a whole load of money away to something, then as you do it, you grow in authority. So every opportunity to obey is an invitation to greater authority. That's how it works. And God wants you to be an authoritative, powerful person who brings God's transformation to other people. That's his, that's his plan for you. That's his destiny for you. Each individual. And however kind of weak we feel or, or like conflicted we feel, that's his plan for you. And, and he's asking us to align ourselves with what he wants for us. And it's exciting. It's the, the possibilities of what God 
can do with you and through you for other people is amazing. Now, it's also sobering and true, and I just need to um, highlight this as well, is the more disobedient to God we are, the less spiritual authority we will exert. Because the, the obverse is also true. God will always love you the same, whether you're disobedient to him or not. He'll always love you the same. But you'll operate at a much lower wattage in your Christian life. Because, because your disobedience will cause your authority to leach away. Or particularly constant disobedience. And, and you know, you may get to the point where you amaze Jesus by your lack of faith, which would be a shame. Because uh, this centurion is put to us as a great example. So I do want to take a little time just to practice praying for one another. And this may be new to some of you, and it'll be meat and drink to uh, others of you. But if we're going to be a community of people who learn how to grow in authority, we, it's important that we just hear our own voices speaking. And um, so in a moment, I'm just going to set out that we can... Pray for one another, and I will lead this from the front. So you, it's almost as if you, if you like, you can just pray after me. I'll say something out, and then you pray. But it's really great to hear our own voices saying the kinds of words that Jesus says. Is that okay? Okay, enough of you saying yes. Uh, and now, just, just seeing um, Ian Barham here, it reminds me of something he taught me, which is that when we pray for people, uh, and you put a hand on you put a hand on someone, and you're praying for them. As you put your hand on there, Ian was saying that the hand of the Father also comes on top of your hand, and the hand of the Son Jesus comes on top of the Father's hand, and the hand of the Holy Spirit comes on top of them all. And uh, and so you you experience that sense of backup from God Himself because you're stepping out. And he backs you up. That's, you know, that's what it's about. Because you're being obedient and you grow in authority. And he sends his power through you.